Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories. All before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Tomato Timer. And today joining us is an architect by training, Joanna Wairoba, who's currently working as a business director for design and engineering at Arcadis. Thank you so much for joining us, Joanna. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for this exciting opportunity. And I'm extra excited to be here today with you, share a little bit with you around my career journey and um, answer all your questions. Absolutely. We're just so excited as well. We've not, have, not had an architect up till now. So it's an interesting thing for us as well. So could you tell us a little bit about what your current role entails? A business director, what does that mean? So today as a business director, I'm responsible for around 100 people. And I think the easiest to put into words is that my responsibility is to ensure that all of them can, all of them can succeed. And I think when we think about success in our company, we think about success in three different areas. Mm-hmm. So one, for everybody to succeed in their personal lives, because that's very, very important for us. Secondly, for them to succeed with our clients. And lastly, for them to succeed um, as Arcadians. So on a day-to-day basis, I work with a lot of different stakeholders. And I work with team leaders to ensure that everybody in our team is engaged and they are happy and passionate about the projects they're working with um, and they have appropriate level of trainings. I work with our clients and the client development teams to ensure that we are delivering to our, uh, on our promises to our clients. Mm-hmm. And I work as well with um, our operational commercial directors um, to ensure that we deliver on our promise to our company and our shareholders as well. Mm. But I think that's more or less what that role entitles. But you started off with studying architecture, is that correct? Yes, I did. So tell us a little bit about your school life and where you're getting really interested in that career and how it all shaped up. So um, I was quite unusual child, I would say, because I decided to be an architect when I was eight. Wow. And I think at that stage, my parents probably thought it was just a stage mm. and it's going to pass very quickly because before that, I wanted to be a singer, I think. <laughs> um, so I was quite a, a abrupt change for my parents at that time. Yeah. Um, but what I found very, very appealing, even at that stage as a child, was this kind of creative aspect of architecture. Mm. So um, I was always a child who was drawing a lot and creating new stuff, etc., etc. And for me, architecture has always been the art of creating space. And this idea that, you know, you have a, a field of grass and then you are putting walls together, you are putting slabs together and it creates a building and that building is a house and that house is actually a home for somebody um, has always been something that um, was inspirational for me. Um, but from that kind of eight-year-old um, kid idea to actually um, studying architecture, um, I think that um, at that time uh, we had kind of old school um, idea that architects are people who are good at maths and mm. um, are able to draw. And I'll be honest, I don't think that that has changed dramatically over years. But I think that, you know, now as we are undergoing a massive change, probably one day it will change. Um, But I was quite passionate about maths. I think that it always came easily to me and the kind of logical thinking and using 
all the formulas to create solutions, etc., etc. I would say it wasn't very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I always loved drawings. So um, I took various courses, drawing courses throughout my high school times. Um, then I had to pass an exam uh, to, to go to architecture school. Um, I think the exams are various throughout the whole world, yeah. um, even in Poland, because I, I was born in Poland and graduated from architecture in Poland. Um, it was various city to city. Uh, in my case, um, I spent three whole days drawing and we had various topics for every drawing which was quite exciting at that time. And then I started five years course of architecture. Wow. And I want to just repeat one a thing you said, which is like really struck me, the art of creating space. That was, that was a beautiful way of describing it. So you're, you're at, uh, at school in Poland and that's where you also uh, went on to study architecture. What does it mean? So you, you said you were drawing at first and then you actually got into the degree. But I think architecture also has levels of, of chartership, I think. How does that all work? Yes. Yes. So I think it will vary country to country. Mm. Um, in Poland, the way how it's structured is that you firstly need to do five years of university where you have various courses and you learn the more creative stuff, which is creating projects that, you know, are... Um, Sometimes they're not very realistic. Sometimes you just create a house. Sometimes you create an office building. Sometimes you create a part of the city. So year by year, we were able to choose various courses as they suited us. Yeah. Um, you have more technical courses as well, which uh, teaches you around how the building functions because building, you might believe it or not, but building breathes. Building, <laughs> um, yes, building, building needs has a kind of their own physics, etc., etc which you need to understand as an architect as well. And you need to understand as well how to put all the technical details together for building to not only look good, but as well function quite well. So you do that for over five years. And then after university, uh, you need to have a more practical side of things. So you need to work mm. in architectural practice. You need to work for two years in architectural practice. And you need to work on the projects that... Um, under the guidance of the chartered architect um, on the projects that help you to understand how everything you learn during the university is applied in practical terms. Um, additionally, in Poland, you would need to spend one year on the construction side where you not only see the, the kind of theoretical part of how you design, but as well how it's constructed. Wow. Um, so you were actually on, on the site where yeah, the construction was happening. Precisely. Which is quite exciting and quite um, quite good way to understand every aspect of the building. Mm. In UK, um, it's slightly different. It still takes a while to do that. Um, but the courses are structured slightly differently. So there is a body which is called uh, Royal Institute of British Architects, RIVA. Mm -hmm. uh, you first do the three-year course in the university. Then you have a gap yeah. year. Um, then you uh, are asked to work in a practice. And most of the practices, they, they're very, they, they welcome you with open arms during that period because you can get, get experience, but you can as well add the value to them. Uh, yeah. After a year of, uh, of the, we call it gap year, after that year, you go back to university and then usually you spend another three years. The courses varies, but uh, sometimes it usually is three years, sometimes it's two. After that time, um, you are called uh, Riva Part 2 architect. And then you need to spend at least another year, get more experience, 
and sort of go back to university for a year as well again um wow. and then at the end of that period you pass an exam and then you can call yourself an architect my gosh that is <laughs> a long journey it is um, it is not like lots of other degrees actually i remember in my first year my flatmate was also studying architecture and he was ex- doing the same like he was right at the start as well so he he just finished his three years or was mm. working through his three years um, and then he's he's off now doing his gap year as well as he, as he just said but it's quite interesting because we tend to forget that there are lots of other career pathways which actually require a lot of kind of consistent effort and, and not only practical experience but also like studying for quite a long period of time we when we talk about these kind of degrees we always think about medicine and we had a a doctor last week, which was really interesting as well. But this also sounds quite similar in the, same, in the sense that you have lots of levels of studying, but also application to practical situations. So now that you are an architect, you get out and what do you do next? Are you still in Poland? And what do you, what do you yeah, start so to do? I think um, I was very determined uh, throughout, I think, all my life. And I wanted to, so I knew that the university is going to give me a lot of theoretical knowledge mm-hmm. and a lot of fun, because I can tell you that the projects we were creating um, during my university times were um, very, very creative. I'm, I'm not sure how expensive it would be to build them or how practical it would be <laughs> to build them. But yeah. I think it was at that time probably more like art, um, rather than practical skill yeah so um i try to get um as quickly as possible i try to get some practical um side of it and i applied for various architectural practices quite early so after my second year and try to get um some apprenticeship um i started working first time during i think um, summer holidays um after the first year sorry second year and then um i managed to juggle for the one semester the work that I was doing at the university with the work I was doing the practice and you know at that time it probably wasn't the most exciting job I ever had Mm. uh, because I was working as an assistant architect so basically I was drawing uh, at that time in AutoCAD um, ideas of my boss Uh, but it taught me quite a lot it taught me how the architectural practice worked um, how he engages with the clients, what's important, what are the local regula- regulations, what are the building regulations, etc., etc., which helped me as well at the university later on. Um, then I had a break because I was very lucky and I went uh, on a scholarship to France. Wow. So I spent uh, six months studying in Paris. And I would recommend that to everybody on the call, just if you have that opportunity, go abroad, study abroad. I know now it's almost impossible Uh, we we can't leave our houses that much (laughs) um but when the situation comes back to normal um i think that that half a year in paris um was definitely one of the most uh, most important experiences for me because firstly i understood that the way how i was taught architecture in poland is only why one way of doing it Hmm. um Secondly, I got to know people from around the world and it was first type of experience like that for me, which was fun as well. Um, but then I came back to Poland after six months um, and I managed to get another job in another practice, uh, again working alongside my, uh, my university degree, uh, which was ambitious at the time. I would say I didn't have a perfect work-life balance at the time. Yeah. Um, but for me, that was working really well. And um, 
that was definitely worth doing it. That sounds quite intense when you're working and studying. And, and this, is this common or were you just a, a super passionate person who was able to do these two things at the same time? I think that um, at our university, we had a lot of flexibility. So mm. we had certain type of courses that were mandatory, but a lot of them um, you could, the most important part was to be able to pass the exam. So we didn't have to necessarily attend them. We just had to acquire knowledge. Mm. And um, the most important courses were design courses. So actually being able to work on certain design projects, um, I think I was able to create those design projects at the university much quicker. And I had precisely, and I had much more credibility as well. Mm. Um, And the good thing as well is that some of my lecturers were working in the same practice. So they knew me and, you know, it's, it's, um, you probably know that as well, that sometimes about the reputation you have with your lecturers and your professors. Um, and because they saw me at work and they knew that I was working very hard there, um, I guess that, you know, when they were looking at my design projects, they knew that I already know a lot of the practical side of things. So, um, I was quite exciting. Um, and then at the very end of my university years, um, I decided to set up my own company. Wow. Entrepreneurial uh, as well. That, well, that didn't last too long, I'll be honest. Uh, I, think I've learned, I think that our company lasted six months. Um, I'll be honest, that was uh, one of the best experiences I've ever had uh, when it failed, because I've learned how not to run architectural practice. Yeah. Uh, and later on, I think I was far more responsible and I was far more grateful as well. Mm. Uh, that I was able to work in large practices and saw that actually they can they can kind of last longer than six months. Yeah, because six months was I would say it was it was very easy three months and very difficult three months. So, so I was really, uh, <laughs> with no, the last three months harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you've shifted from and you were you loved architecture. How did you then decide to go into a more managerial role? So I've always been a very curious person. And I think that when I was working as an architect uh, on larger commissions, there would always would be some, somebody called project manager that would appear one day. Um, and actually, all the key decisions in terms of how we build that building, what we can afford on, et cetera, et cetera, were taken by them. So I, and I noticed that if as architects we had that knowledge around what's profitable for the client, what they can afford on, et cetera, et cetera, then A, we wouldn't waste that much time because a creative process is you do a couple of ideas and then you show them to the client and you ask client to decide on one or two. Um, and sometimes client's not happy with either of them, so you need to restart again. Mm. Um, and I noticed that if we had that knowledge as project managers did have, we would be able to create those concepts and concept ideas much better to start with. Yeah. Um, so um, I was curious. So I thought, okay, so if I'm going to get this kind of more managerial experience, if I'm going to understand a little bit better how the construction industry works, uh, I will be able to be a better architect. So I had an opportunity. Somebody offered me a job as a project manager. Um, a lot of skills were transferable. So the ability to read technical drawings, uh, the ability to understand how buildings work, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, it was quite easy for me to pick up the managerial side of the things and uh, learn Excel. That wasn't my strength <laughs> before. Um, and then um, I spent a couple of years actually managing architects, uh, which um, was fun. Architects and other teams as well. Um, and then uh, five years ago, when I joined Arcades, I was actually able to combine both uh, because I joined a team that is composed of various engineers, um, architects, interior designers, and we all work on various types of buildings. Um, and you know, now I'm responsible for the team um, that works on those buildings, but it's, um, it's still quite creative. Yeah, you have best of both worlds, I guess. I think so. And, you know, I do enjoy it as well. And um, a couple of years back in my career, somebody told me that if you can achieve your dreams on your own, your dreams are not big enough. And I found it very inspirational. Wow. And I thought, well, actually, if I can have impact on so many people and we can um, improve quality of life, because that's the, that's the vision of my, com of my company that I work in, um, wouldn't that be better if just working on my own as an architect? Yeah. Um, so I think, but I'm here today. I really enjoy my job. I love my team. Um, and as you said, I think I have best of both worlds. That is really, really amazing. And so, so good to hear because so many of us, um, or at least even really high profile and lots of money-making people tend to not love their jobs. And it's sad because you're spending huge proportion of your life just like working towards something and if it's not giving you the pleasure it's it's kind of sad isn't it absolutely absolutely yeah. tell us a little bit about a recent project you've been involved with and working on something that could excite us so i mean that can excite you okay so um i think what um what we've noticed during the recent times is that some industries um Know, are slowing down and the industry that I used to work mostly in which is automotive retail and uh, creating um, kind of the brand identity for brands like Lexus or Citroen or Peugeot mm -hmm. that's coming a little bit to, to a standstill because not too many people are buying cars at this minute even though the exciting part there was that that industry was um, has been undergoing a massive change anyway, and they were trying to deploy a lot of digital technology into their dealerships and their showrooms. And they were trying to ensure that when you come to them, there's, for, for example, only one car that you can see, but you can use a virtual reality or all the other digital um, technologies that are available to browse through the whole range of cars. Yeah. So that used to be the project I used to work on probably till March this year. And then what's happened is, as I mentioned, not too many uh, people are buying cars nowadays, but actually a lot of people are buying more and more online. And I guess that you all, uh, you all found that as well. Mm. And, um, you know, we use technology far more. So we notice that probably data centers and distribution centers um, are more and more popular. And whilst an automotive showroom is probably more exciting for an architect or interior designer because there are a lot of nice fabrics there and it's all about the brand and it's all about how that brand message transpires into the, the, the visual environment. Mm -hmm. The distribution centers and data centers are more practical and it's more like a playground for engineers. 
because the amount of heating and ventilation and uh, proper electrical protection, etc., etc., that needs to go there mm -hmm. is enormous. So it's, it's always a little bit like a jigsaw for our engineers to solve it um, and to ensure that it's sustainable as well because sustainability agenda is becoming more and more important for our clients, which is great. Yeah. Probably a little bit less fun for architects, uh, but still at the end of the day, you still create that space and you create something that serves the purpose and helps people, which is the most important part. Mm. And you just mentioned sustainability. It's it's an important topic. And I think finally, lots of people are realizing the, the necessity for taking action now. How is the architectural world going to reflect on that? How is it going to affect the, the buildings that we're going to see tomorrow and, and the way we're going to be living? Because I, I've seen some amazing, and I'm sure that lots of our listeners have as well. You know, you can see these amazing uh, houses, which are completely eco-friendly and they're built inside, I don't know, inside a hill or inside this and they, the water is coming from here and the grass is growing here and everything is well connected. But they're still quite experimental. How are we going to make this a reality, eco-friendliness and sustainability? So I think that the change is already happening. And I think that um, what we are seeing now uh, through a very unfortunate situation. You know, we, we can't forget that a lot of people are dying nowadays and, and that's terrible. Mm. But um, I think it helps a lot of companies to redefine how they work. Because as you said, um, a house is very often um, just an endeavor of one family. So it's quite easy to enforce your vision. If it comes to offices or larger, larger buildings, um, it's far more complex. So I think that what we have noticed is that a lot of companies um, and a lot of our clients, they do see that the new ways of working um, are changing and the way how they will want to have their buildings designed is going to change. And I think it will affect almost everything because, you know, more majority of us are working from home nowadays. Yeah. But it means that working from home, the, the way how we design homes will need to change as well. Because, mm. you know, I'm working from my, my little flat with my husband. <laughs> and I think initial week was quite challenging. Now we found our ways around it. Um, but the same is going to be with, uh, with buildings. So a lower, lower footprint is going to mean some one thing for the buildings. And that might mean that we will be able to have more green areas. I think I was reading recently an article about Vienna that they're actually reducing number of streets to put more and more green areas. Wow. I think it's definitely going to change. And, um, you know, becoming carbon neutral is becoming a goal for majority of companies. Yeah. So, you know, whereas maybe 20 years ago, sustainability was something, or even 10 years ago, sustainability was something that was only for the individuals that were very determined and eco-friendly. Now it's going to become a new normal. Yeah. And I think our responsibility for the climate change, um, more and more governments as well, are making very clear to companies that that's the new normal. You need to change. You need to adapt. So I think we will live in exciting times. Absolutely. From that perspective. And building on that as well, um, there's obviously sustainability, which is such an important factor to play in. But there's this amazing new aspect of architecture is coming up. Um, and it's always been there, I guess, but it's it's more than ever before. The, the idea of human-centered design and actually making spaces that are 
are not, oh, let's say we have a square of this dimension and we want to build a house and how do we maximize the capacity and this and that. It's more about how do we make this a beautiful space to live in and work from for our children to grow up and for us to do all our activities in. And, and how do we use like the upcoming technologies like automation into this as well? How What is this, like, is this an exciting thing for you? And can you tell us a little bit about that? So I would say that good architects, they've always been human centric mm. because I think the way how you should start every design and it's, you know, it's quite theoretical, but uh, you know, that's the way how you should start is with understanding client's brief and understanding what client wants to get from that space you're going to create for them. If it's a house, how the family is going to interact there, what they need, etc., etc. And uh, if it's a large kind of residential area, again, it's how every family is going to use their space, but how collectively they're going to use the wider area. I think what's happening now is that what because we we were if you look back in the history of architecture you know we moved from only certain people were able to commission a house and everybody else was living in kind of horrible accommodations to mm. we have a housing projects for everybody and obviously that meant that um more practical side and as you said like squeezing as many square meters as possible on the area was the most important um but as you said, I think that we are now entering the age when there's going to be more balance, that um, we are going to focus more on how people interact and how people um, kind of exist in those areas and how that is going to change. And I, I think it's going to be really exciting for architects because we always, so all the architectural education is around how to be human-centric. And then when we go into the more practical side, yeah. then we are told that you need to have that many square meters, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. for us to come back to those kind of principles of it needs to be centered around humans, it's going to be definitely exciting and I think it's going to be much better for society. That is amazing. And Joanne, I'm so sorry and have like a bunch of more questions to ask you, but the timer goes off and we need to be careful and make sure that we also fit within our schedule. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was absolute pleasure from my side. So thank you very much for having me today. And thank you to all our listeners as well. Um, it was it was amazing to hear all this stuff. Um, and we'll join you again next week. See ya. Bye. And that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.